right, take them. I want to just take a moment and uh, review a little bit. And uh, here, just to get it fresh in our minds, is the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And these petitions all have to do primarily with God's concerns. And we've been uh, looking at um, this petition, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so what we've seen, what we, what, uh, and it might not have seemed completely connected to you, um, but what we were looking at really in large measure last time was the Bible's theology of God's name. And uh, that this theology informs prayer in the New Testament. It's behind this petition, and it's part of why we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, God's name, and even Jesus' name, stands for uh, his person. It carries with it uh, all his character qualities, his attributes. And when his attributes are known, he's manifesting his glory. That's what we saw in uh, Exodus 32. And when we pray hallowed, that means that's to keep holy and it's a passive, and so we're asking God to keep his name holy, uh, which, which means that people would honor and recognize God as the unique being that he is, because holiness is not primarily moral. It's about a distinction. I told, that, uh, I told a number of stories to try to make this, make this point. And so we're really, what we're asking for is in... We're asking God to reveal his name, to reveal himself, and that people would really know him as uh, God. All that's not just that's few short uh, words. Um, and we, uh, we, there's one more thing about his name that's in the theology of his name that's uh, uh, especially clear in this passage in Ezekiel chapter 36. So I hope you're there. Um, it's a wonderful and glorious passage. So let me just give you the context. Um, Ezekiel, as a prophet, writes during uh, the time when the southern kingdom has gone into exile. The northern kingdom already has gone into exile about 100 years earlier, and now the southern kingdom goes into exile. And he sees the, the, the prophecy begins with, God's glory cloud leaving the temple and going uh, to Babylon to be uh, with the remnant that, that are there. And Ezekiel uh, lives through uh, that time, and he has many things to say uh, to the remnant. Um, a lot of it is explaining why it is that they were removed from the land. And this passage, we're going to pick up in uh, verse 16 of chapter 36, is, is a part of uh, what God is about and up to in this season. And it's a word really of hope. Now, verse 16, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them, for the blood they'd shed in the land, for the idols with which they'd defiled it. 
And so Ezekiel's just recapping in, in just a couple of phrases um, the corruption, both religiously and morally, that resulted in the, in the exile. Verse 19, I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries in accordance with their ways and their deeds I judged them. In other words, uh, they got what was coming to them. They reaped what they sowed. But when they came to the nations, uh, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name in that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of that land. And, and so here's the first use of God's name. It's my holy name in this prophecy. Verse 21, but I had concern for my holy name, with which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they had come. And so I hope you can see this, the weight of this theology. Um, profaning God's name is totally disrespecting who God uh, is. And God himself is concerned for his name, is concerned for his uh, reputation. 22, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And so this is an important part of, of this theology too, is that God acts for the sake of his name. God uh, seeks, uh, if you want to put it this way, he promotes his glory. Uh, he is zealous to protect his reputation. And so he's uh, saying to the exiles, I'm about to act, but it's not because of you. It's, it's in order to reveal my glory, to restore uh, my reputation. And then verse 23 says, and I will vindicate my holy, the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, uh, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And, and here again, you hear those, those themes of name and glory, uh, and, and God acting um, to uh, hold up, reveal his glory uh, to the nations. Verse 24, and I will take you from the nations. This is God regathering the people into the land and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your forefathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the trees and increase the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. And then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act declares the Lord. 
let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded in your ways, O house of Israel. And this prophecy is one of the central prophecies of the new covenant, this promise of, uh, of receiving a new heart, God taking our hearts to stone and giving us a heart that's a fleshy, that's tender, that's responsive, of receiving a new spirit, of being cleansed uh, with water, and this central reaffirmation of the covenant statement that you will be my people and I will be my God. This is one of the most glorious promises in the entire uh, Old Testament. And it's spoken in the context of God acting for the sake of his name. And these promises were fulfilled by uh, Jesus. That's probably not surprising. But if you turn over to John 12, uh, you'll see the explicit connection uh, to God's name. John 12, verses 27 and 28, uh, Jesus says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. So that little phrase, this hour in John, always refers to the cross. It's, it's the hour uh, of his death. Um, but it's also, and this is... Uh, this is pretty counterintuitive, verse 28. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, and I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And so um, uh, the hour in the book of John is actually the hour of glory. And it is the hour when God has acted for the sake of his name. He reveals the glory of his name in uh, Jesus uh, redeeming us. And so, as you know, Jesus died. Uh, to cleanse us. He rose to life uh, and had imparted the power of his life uh, to us, and he offers amnesty uh, to us who are rebels. And uh, I like to sometimes say it this way when I share the gospel with somebody. I, I say the amnesty is this. It's on the basis of total unconditional surrender. You have to admit you've been ignoring God and, and grateful to him, and you've refused to obey him. And you have to surrender your complete claim uh, to be in charge of your life. And when you do that, it sounds pretty scary to relinquish uh, control of your life to him. Um, but this is the very essence of faith. And so while it sounds initially scary, in a little while you start to see that it's really okay. Suppose you got strep throat and uh, you went to the doctor and the doctor said, yes, that sore throat really is strep. Here's some antibiotics. Take this in a few days and you will feel better. Well, you may be hesitant about the doctor's instructions, but if you do that in a few days, in fact, you will feel better. Or, or um, entering into a, a serious uh, commitment like uh, marriage is something that may awaken a lot of discomfort uh, in a person. that may have a lot of hesitation about that, but as soon as you enter into it, soon after you enter into it, you begin to experience the delights of intimacy. And so faith may seem very uncomfortable initially, um, but in time you start to see really that um, it's not as scary as it may sound. Um, and so uh, what we're praying for in the Lord's Prayer, when we pray that your name may be kept holy, is we're actually just praying that the whole world will come to see uh, who God is and that God would actually act to redeem it. And so that, in fact, will one day happen. One day all the world will recognize 
uh, that the Lord Jesus has come, either joyfully, as those who've experienced grace, uh, or in horror, as they recognize that they've resisted him. And, and so um, the second thing I want us to see here, and this is, we're going to finish up on this uh, fairly quickly here, is how can we tell when our prayers have been answered, when this prayer has been answered? Well, uh, when we become very big fans of God. Now, in uh, North Carolina, we had a, a man named Bill um, who went to the University of Georgia, and he became very enthusiastic about Georgia football. And he has had for over 40 years season tickets. Um, and until very recently, he never missed a game. He used to joke that if he weren't in his seat during the game, the people who sat around him would conclude he had died. <laughs> he had an amazing red car, which is Georgia's team colors. He had two rooms in his house that were dedicated uh, to Georgia Bulldog paraphernalia. He was a big fan. And this prayer is being answered in us when we're big fans of God as well. When we gather with the fan club uh, and attend the pep rallies, which is what worship service is. It's a gathering of God's fan club, uh, it, taking uh, delight in him. It's also uh, answered when we become fully trusting uh, children. Because to name the name of this holy father as our own, and then to live in fear as if he's lost control of the world or in uncertainty about following his teaches, teachings as if following Jesus would lead to loss and ruin in your life is an expression of our failure to honor this great God. John Piper in his book, uh, uh, God's The Pleasures of God, uh, has a letter from Sarah Edwards. You probably uh, know that Jonathan Edwards uh, died about five weeks after getting a smallpox vaccine. He had uh, gone in the year 1758 uh, to assume the presidency of Princeton uh, College. And uh, his sudden death left Sarah uh, when he was 54 years old, this happened. He left Sarah with 10 children. And um, Sarah wrote a letter expressing her confidence in God uh, to her daughter, Esther. And this is uh, how it reads. My very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands on our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives, and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God, and therefore I am and love to be your affectionate mother, Sarah Edwards. That letter was written in the midst of great grief. And it's not that having said what I did here somehow means that when we experience earth-shattering uh, loss or illness, that there isn't a time to weep, a time uh, to just need to be silent, a time just to be embraced. There is. But she expresses the confidence that those who've really experienced the answer to this prayer in their lives have that God is really up to something good, even in our worst experiences.
The, the third mark that this prayer has been answered is this, that we become contented children. He becomes our joy, our delight, um, our treasured, he's the most treasured relationship. As the catechism says, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And these are not two different things, they are one thing. God's chief end is his glory. It's the hallowing of his name, and it's purposed in everything that he does. Every action that God takes is to display his glory. And so he's made uh, things in such a way that we find our own deepest fulfillment uh, and highest joy in hallowing his name, in praise, in submission, and in service. That's J.I. Packer, by the way. Uh, that's uh, said so uh, well. And so it's our uh, duty to him is the best for us and our delight in him uh, completely coincide. Duty and delight are, are one in the same thing. And then to pray this prayer that Jesus has taught us uh, is to touch on the very central purpose of all that God does in creating the world, that ultimately everyone uh, might find him uh, satisfying. Um, all of you know this story that I'm gonna share uh, with you because it's taught in uh, every school uh, classroom in America. On the afternoon of April 18th, uh, 1775, a young boy who worked in a stable in Boston overheard one of the British Army officers say something about there will be hell uh, to pay tomorrow. Uh, the stable boy uh, ran uh, with that news to uh, Boston's North End to the home of a silversmith by the name of Paul Revere. Revere listened gravely. It wasn't the first rumor of that day. Earlier, he had been told of unusual number of British officers gathered at Boston's uh, Long Wharf, uh, talking in low tones. And uh, a number of uh, British uh, boats were tethered uh, there um, in the harbor. And several sailors had been seen doing what appeared to be last minute errands. Uh, Revere and his close uh, friend, Joseph Warren, became more and more convinced that the British were about to make a major move that had long been rumored that they would march to the town of Lexington, northwest of Boston, arrest uh, John Hancock and Samuel Adams, colonial leaders, and then onto the town of Concord, seizing the store of guns and ammunitions there. And um, what happens next is a part of uh, history. At 10 that night, Warren and Revere meet. They decide they had to warn the communities surrounding Boston that the British were on their way. And so the local militia uh, would be roused to meet them. Uh, Revere sprinted across Boston Harbor to the ferry landing in Charleston. He jumped on a horse and began his midnight ride to Lexington. In two hours, he covered 13 miles. Apparently, that's impressive on a horse. Uh, I, I would know because I've never ridden a horse uh, very far. And every town he passed along the way, Charleston, Medford, North Cambridge, uh, he knocked on doors, spread the word, telling the local colonial leaders of the oncoming British. Church bells rang, uh, drums started beating, the news spread like virus. The word was in Lincoln. Uh, 
Massachusetts by 1 a.m., Sudbury by 3, Andover 40 miles northwest of Boston by 5 a.m. By 9 in the morning, it had reached as far as Ashby near Worcester. And when the British finally began their march into the countryside, to their utter astonishment, uh, they met organized and fierce resistance. And that was uh, what defeated them. Uh, and it was the beginning of the American <clears throat> Revolution. Paul Revere created an epidemic of news about the British. And uh, Malcolm Gadwell, who retells this story in his book, The Tipping Point, points out that um, he had a network. He was what, of relationships. He was what Gadwell calls a connector. Um, he was a member of five, possibly seven revolutionary war circles, which made it possible for him to share that news and for it to spread very rapidly. And we'll know that this prayer, the very first petition of the Lord's Prayer, is being answered when we're part of creating an epidemic of a word about Jesus Christ. When we become children who boast uh, about what Christ has done for and the gospel. When we deliberately do the things we need to do as individuals, uh, in, uh, in groups, uh, as a congregation to spread the word about our God. And that means many things, but one of the primary things I think it means is we have to be very intentional about building uh, relationships. So most people have maybe 10 significant relationships that they maintain uh, regularly. There's a larger circle of people that you know and are, are good friends, and then a larger circle out there that are more acquaintances and, and so on. And um, many people fill up all of those 10 slots. And especially Christians, when you get older, you have all those slots are occupied by Christians. And I wanna to suggest to you that what mature Christians should do is they should keep two slots always open uh, for people who don't know Christ. And that they would be intentional about asking God to show them who those people uh, could be that they would intentionally have friendships uh, with. Now, some people find it helpful to have a, a list of three or five people that whose names they pray over uh, regularly. Um, probably the best, most effective uh, personal evangelism people I know do this. They have a list of five names and they pray for these people uh, daily. Uh, and um, they're in their minds and they try to try to build a relationship with them and follow up on things they know about them. They're intentional in spending time uh, with them. And uh, when uh, we are as a congregation sharing our faith uh, with a couple of people seeking to build relationships intentionally with people, uh, not to make a project out of them, but to genuinely love them in the hopes that God would open their hearts, an opportunity would come to share the gospel. Well, we're a part of that. And of course, it's why we do many things uh, in investing in global uh, missions or world missions, to college ministry, to church planning, uh, to seeking to do deed and mercy ministry. And it's why we are connectional. We're intentionally a part uh, of the larger uh, Presbyterian church. And we do some things uh, with... Uh, probably with Lars, I think. Um, but each of us has a part to play. God has placed you in a unique network of relationships. And um, 
part of the answer to this prayer is that we would gossip the gospel um, and that we would invite others to taste and see that the Lord is good. Isaiah, in the 11th chapter of his uh, prophecy, uh, tells us what the final answer to this prayer uh, looks like. Um, and Isaiah 11, uh, 1, uh, begins at sometimes a passage that's uh, read or even preached on uh, at Christmas time. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch uh, from his roots that shall bear fruit. And that's, that's the descendant of uh, King David. Jesse's his father, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what he hears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall be lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So when we pray this prayer, we're praying that uh, the uh, beautiful kingdom, the new heavens and the earth would come, uh, when the knowledge of God is uh, known uh, by all who are living. Well, let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, may you be uh, pleased to bring glory uh, to your name. May you act uh, for uh, your sake in making yourself uh, known in our day, in our time, uh, here around the globe and uh, uh, our nation, in the state of Maryland, and in particular in the, the greater Laurel area. And Father, we uh, pray that we might uh, uh, be given uh, to gossiping your name, that we would be contented uh, children, uh, trusting uh, children, uh, children who take uh, great uh, delight in you. May it uh, be, Lord, that all the things that you've accomplished through Christ's death and promised in the new covenant would uh, be so worked in our lives that people would see you and be drawn to the light that we find in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray.